Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to dive into 2 Corinthians, chapter number 2. We're going to take a look at three specific points that we glean from this chapter. Now, keeping in mind that that's not the whole of the, the beauty and information that you can get out of chapter number 2. It's just the three parts that we'll pull from it this time. And if you wish to go back and just read over that chapter and glean from the beautiful nuggets that you can get from its glory, then go back for it. But these are just three specific points that we're going to draw from today to be able to just rejoice together in the time that we have over what the Lord is doing and what He's done so, with that, let us turn to the Lord in prayer, asking for His blessing be upon us, and then we'll get started. Father, we are thankful for everything that you have done. We are excited, looking forward to the things that you're doing right now. And Father, we long for the future of those things which you are you have already prepared for us. And it's a joy to be able to study your word daily. It's a joy to be able to be in your presence, to be able to rejoice in, in the work of your hands and, and to read of those things which are necessary for our soul to receive, that we may live the very gospel that we're reading into the lives of the people around us. And it'll be well with our souls as we rejoice together in the blessed name of Jesus today. Give us just a little nugget, Lord, that we can take to somebody else who might be hurting, who might be sorrowful, who might be lonely. Father, give us, give us just that little taste that we can share with others to be able to encourage their hearts in the Lord today. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, here we are, uh, broadcast to you live from North Dakota, where it is right about 25 degrees at, at the moment, which I think is just absolutely fantastic. Love it to pieces, praying that the good Lord bring on a snow here before too long, just so that we can rejoice in the beauty of 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 that snowflakes it's just so good so uh, some around me might not be in total agreement with that but praise the lord it's been a long time since we actually experienced a winter so whereas some folks are going goodness gracious here it comes we're saying hallelujah now when it comes to january <laughs> when it comes to february uh, we might not be in that that boat. We might be alongside everybody else. Negative 20 or 30 or 40 is saying, oh my goodness, what do we ask for? But uh, right now, uh, living in the moment, can't ask for better. So just saying. The first point that I have for us today is found in the first four verses of 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, as we read through them, and the point is perception is everything. Perception is everything. So let's take a look at it as we see what the Apostle Paul has to say here. In verse number 1, he goes and he says, But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you that all having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. 
for out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you, with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. And the key to perception is everything is found in verse number four. Now, this first four verses is, is covering the whole purpose behind what his last letter was in 1 Corinthians. Now, you know how tough some of that letter was, especially you get you get right into chapter one. He said, I, I marvel about how ignorant you are. You, you get to chapter two. He says that, some of you think you're from Paul, some of you think you're from Apollos, and you're arguing over whose baptism that you've had. And he, he says that's not the point at all. The point is to be in Christ. And and he goes forward and tells them the natural man cannot perceive the things of God, neither can he know them. He jumps to chapter 3 and says, become a wise master builder, and then tells them about the judgment that's going to befall the church. He he jumps to 4, he jumps to 5, he jumps to 6. I mean, he's just systematically through the, the, the writing of the letter of 1 Corinthians, just nailing this church for the inconsistencies of its, of its role and of its existence in the gospel, just hammering these guys. And so now, after this letter's been delivered to the church, of course, the way in which it was meant is a letter of correction that would be received in the recognition of, hey, we're doing some things wrong. we got to get back on the path. That is what was meant for that letter to do. But the way in which that letter was perceived was how hateful is this man that he would be so harsh toward us as to say that we're not doing anything right, that we can't get anything straight, that we are a worthless church. And so, whereas this letter was meant for good intended, that's where perception is everything, isn't it? Where this letter is intended for the purpose of giving good instruction so that those things which are in error can be corrected, it was just received as a how dare you, Paul, tell us what we're doing wrong, or how dare you, Paul, look to censure us and chastise us for being for being bad when we don't think that we're doing anything wrong at all. And so it's perception that makes all the difference in the world. I, I did a, a, a little bit of a test on this one time. I had a young man years back. I was still in North Dakota. A matter of fact, I think I was still living in, in Minot during the time. And I had this young man, he'd just, just gotten into Facebook, he'd just gotten on there, and, and he had written something, he had wrote a post, and, and I responded to that post, and, and he did not perceive it the way that I wrote it. Now, I gotta confess, I knew that he would not receive it that way. Because just like the Apostle Paul, I knew this young man. I knew what made him tick. I knew what upset him. I knew what would cause him to flare up. And so in my writings, I wrote certain words. I put certain phrases together in that writing because I knew it would cause him to be upset. And so he wrote me back on a personal, on a personal message how could you say these things to me? How could you 
call me out like that in the public forum. That was so very harsh. And so I got together with him face to face. And I sat down with him and, and handed him that, that letter, that, that message that I had responded to him and had him read it line upon line with me there. And as he read that and then asked me the questions, I could explain to him that writing and, and he got it. He said, I didn't, I didn't catch that. He said, I, I thought you were mad at me. I thought you were fussing at me. And, and the truth is, I wasn't fussing at all. I actually cared about this young man and wanted to straighten up some, some error to his thinking at that point of time. But, but what was written was written in love. But he didn't perceive it in love. And that's why I'm saying perception is everything. Because oftentimes people can read the, the, the scriptures and realize that the whole of Scripture, whether it's being come, whether it's coming from the Apostle Paul or the Apostle James or the Apostle Jude or, or John, uh, or or Mark or Matthew or Luke, that the writers of Scripture are being used by God. See, this is important because it's it's not necessarily the writer's opinions or the writer's thoughts or the writer's design or desire. But that we know from Second Peter chapter number one about verse nineteen and twenty that it says, "Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost." And so that Second Timothy chapter number three and verse number fifteen and sixteen going down it says that that every word of Scripture is is inspired by God that we understand that, that those writings we have compiled together as our Bible are, are words of God. They're words that come directly by transmission of God through mankind into your face on that page. And that's really important to understand because it's not necessarily what Paul's thoughts are as much as it is God's thoughts that are working through the Apostle Paul. And we have to understand that though... The, there are many people who who may just despise Paul. When I was in Virginia, I met plenty of of people. Oddly enough, most of them would be of the female persuasion, but I met plenty of people who just hated the Apostle Paul. They didn't want to study any of the, the writings of the Apostle Paul. They considered him a misogynist bigot that that was hateful towards women, and they just had nothing to do with the Apostle Paul. Now, they don't mind learning from any of the other writers of the, of the New Testament. They just didn't like the Apostle Paul. And the question is, why? And, and the answer is very simple. Perception is the way that they perceived the writings that Paul had given without knowing the man personally, without knowing the context the background of why these things would be written, it comes down to the perception of what is written being everything. And of course, the Apostle Paul is making this known, even in this beginning of the second chapter, is recognizing that this letter may not have well been received by many as as understanding that the apostle loved this people and that's why he desired for the correction to come, but that they would receive it as a means to think that he was being hateful towards them. And that's why he said, 
I just I couldn't bring another letter to you to bring you to sorrow again as as expecting that it would this letter would actually have given you joy for the purpose of being able to correct those errors and to be able to change your life for the good of the gospel. He said, I thought that this would be something that would be joyful for you, but I've discovered that it has brought you into the depths of despair and caused you to be sorrowful. He said, that's not ever the intention that I have. And so in verse number four, as the the key here, he says, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. In other words, go back now and read 1 Corinthians, this letter, under the understanding that this letter isn't written because I'm angry with you and I'm going to crush all of your little heads when I come unto Corinthians when I come into Corinth and I, and I visit you, I'm not coming to destroy you. He said, listen, I love you. And, and because I love you, I cannot let these doctrines slide. I cannot let this wickedness carry on. Because I love you, I must correct these things. If I didn't care, I wouldn't say anything. But because I care, I've got to speak. I can't remain silent. And that is the first point. Without question, perception is everything as has been said so many times before it's not what we say it's how we say it and it's how it's perceived that makes all the difference in the world and so we move down to the second section and this section comes from verses 5 to 11 and the second point is the fact that forgiveness is the principal thing. But now, understand, forgiveness is is perceived incorrectly as well because what we consider, especially in our modern day, what we consider to be forgiveness is really what we do to brush a subject or to brush a problem under a rug so as to separate ourselves from it and just be done with it so that we don't have to consider it or look at it anymore. So when when uh, an, a wrong has come to us or when a problem arises and, and, and somebody comes and says, listen, we need to talk about this. So we'll, I don't want to talk about it right now. I just 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 drop it is what we say. Person says, but but I'm sorry I did this. It's fine. It's over. I'm done with it. Just leave it alone. That's the way we would address that. Instead of stopping and saying, okay, you really did hurt me, and this is what really happened in, in the perception, by the way. It's why we started with perception. And, and you know, I'm hurt. And, and the person to say, I didn't realize that it would be this way. And I do apologize because I do understand what's happening in your heart. I get it. And, and, and then the person to be able to say, you know what? Okay, I receive that apology. You stand forgiven. And, and this great position of reconciliation could come out of that. But we don't reconcile in the United States today often. We don't, we don't have that position of, of acknowledged forgiveness anymore. We just we just brush things under a rug, but in brushing them under rugs, we we hold them hostage in our heart and we build up a great deal of things about this person because we've not let any of the things go we've not given forgiveness or received forgiveness we just 
even though we've sought for it, we said, you know, I apologize to you. I didn't realize that that I was being this way or saying these things, and I, I just didn't think about it, and I apologize to you. The person on the other side says, well, just forget about it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Just, just leave it alone. It's done. The reality is, is it's so far from being done. It's not done. It's not done because you didn't deal with it. You didn't you didn't handle it at that moment. You just buried it under the rug and 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 it's going to resurface. Praise God every time the rug is stepped on and it shifts a little bit, the dust comes out a little more, it's gonna resurface. And so he comes down in the reading from verse 5 to 11 and he says this, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, I have forgiven anything. I, in, uh, let's see, I have forgiven that one of your sakes uh, in the presence of Christ. Uh, he says, I have forgiven that one for your sakes. Got to get my eyeballs working this morning in the presence of Christ. And he says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And this is the key in verse number 11 of, of this point that we have, that forgiveness is the principle, is, is that Satan is so much wiser than we are, and his devices are to separate. His devices are to divide, to conquer, to destroy. Recognize the work of the Antichrist is conquering and to conquer, as written in Revelation chapter number 6 in the first two verses. And that he who comes in with a white horse comes in with a bow and comes in having received a crown and his design is to conquer. Well, oftentimes in order to effectively conquer a people, you have to divide the people first. Because if a people group is united, then they are a force to be reckoned with. But if you can fracture that people group and cause division among them so that they are infighting amongst themselves, how easy is it to separate and segregate and then just conquer pieces at a time till you have the whole? Well, Satan's not stupid about the United States at that point today, is he? Because he's got us as a people group, as, as, as a country, so divided amongst each other that, that we, in, in every segment of our society, we are at war with each other. And so it would be no small thing for the Antichrist to be able to come into the United States and to be able to take over bits and pieces of us until he gathers the whole of us together is because it, it, Satan has done such a great work in dividing what once was a solid nation, united together under the common values of what it means to be American. Now, we don't even know what that means anymore. 
that our youth doesn't have any idea what it means to to be a patriot, to be an American. Now, I agree with Rick Green on this point, a former representative of, of, of Texas, that it's it's still worth saving, and it's not too late. I firmly believe that. But we've got to get back to the fundamentals of our ideals. Why? Because Satan is has devices, and, and his devices are division. His device is to divide, is to separate people from, from each other by, by bringing out the nuances of things that really aren't even true anymore. I mean, just flat out not true. But if I can bring those irritations that exist inside of the heart of a people, and I can manipulate the perception so this is why we began in the first four verses with the concept of perception, because when we come to this position of forgiveness being principle, it is the way in which we are going to perceive that makes all the difference as to the forgiveness that would be rendered or withheld. Satan's devices, as found in verse number 11, Satan's advantage in his devices is knowing the wickedness of the heart of man that he had corrupted all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3 and realizing that if he can eliminate the way that we perceive forgiveness, if he can eliminate the way that we perceive each other that as Americans or as a people group united and solid, being solid together as one people, that he conquers the world, that he conquers the nation. And so Satan's devices are to bring his people in, like, like would be Antifa, like would be uh, BLM. You're saying, are you comparing them to Satan's people? Yeah, <laughs> I am, as a matter of fact. For their design was not to unite a people together. Their design was to burn buildings and destroy properties and, and push people apart, create divisions, create separations. Instead of the protests that, that were happening, that were peaceful, that were good, that were necessary for a people's voice to be heard, these guys came in at night on the backside of all of those those peaceful people, and they just created riots, took over street blocks and the whole nine yards to try and, and divide, to try and separate, to try and destroy. Yeah, that's Satan's work. That's not God's work. That's never God's work. And so they're just following after their father, the devil, just as Jesus told the Pharisees there in John chapter number 8. They're just following after their father, the devil. They're doing the works that he did. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he was the father of all liars. Yeah, they're chasing after his work. And in doing so, they're creating an avenue by which they separate people groups from, from among each other, and they separate people uh, as concerning hatred for these people as they had hatred for other people. And it, and it breeds all of these things that are anti-Christ. So guess where the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well and already at work in our nation? But this is not the point of the chapter. The point of the chapter is... To forgive that the recognition of whoever this person was, I don't, I don't know. This this section of writing from five to eleven is talking about specific people. It's talking about a specific incidence. Uh, for instance, you look at verse number five. He said, "If anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Not to be too severe." 
He said, but this punishment was inflicted by the majority, and that punishment was sufficient for this kind of person. So he's saying that the, the people that, that had already drawn the, the separation or, or brought in the grief among this body of Christ at Corinth has already been dealt with, has already been punished. And, and he said that the punishment that they had received was sufficient for what they had done. And now the Apostle Paul's calling out, even since this person has, or people have undergone this punishment that was sufficient for this person, they said, you ought to forgive them and comfort them now. They've, they've suffered the affliction. They've gone through the punishment. They, they, they have been corrected. So now that correction has taken place, now is the time for reconciliation. If the correction is rendered and the correction is received, the person has been dealt with and punished and the punishment has gone through its completion, the person must be reconciled. They must be received. And, and this is the point you ought rather to forgive and comfort them unless they get swallowed up by too much sorrow. And in that swallowing up of sorrow that they may they may lead them to the position of suicide, which has happened before because of people have done wrong, they've been punished, they've sought reconciliation, but they could find no reconciliation because people harbored their 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 issues over their head they said well you're welcome back into the fellowship but they really never were welcome back into the fellowship well you're welcome back home but they were never really comforted and welcomed back home you're welcomed among the circle of friends but as soon as you come in everybody quits talking and nobody's really talking to you kind of thing and so much as that people would say one thing, but in their actions do another. And guess what happens to perception all the way back in the first four verses? It's shot to pieces, isn't it? Because the person is perceiving that even though the word said you're welcome, they're, they're perceiving that they're not welcome. And, and when the word said you're, you're okay here, their perception is that they're not okay here. And oftentimes, if you'd sit down and ask a person if they feel like they're they're welcome, if they feel like they're they're a part of, say, the family or a part of the community or a part of the church or whatever they, they, they need to be a part of, if you stopped and you actually sat down with some people and you actually engaged them, but but in in a conversation that would cause them to be interested in even talking about it because a lot of people are so shelled up that they're they're not willing to talk about how they feel about not being accepted about not being welcomed about not being uh, not feeling like they're apart because then they don't want to be judged for for saying those things because they're they're tired of of the way that they're perceiving the whole thing but that you would discover that their perceptions are one way, even though your meaning and your purpose, your, 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 you thought it was completely different. Because everything that this people group that's, that's been together for all of their lives, they, they operate in a certain framework. Now, you might have some new people coming into that world or into that life that don't understand the culture, that don't understand the people, that, that have never had any contact with, with, with them. And, and so they carry on as though things were normal. But these people over here don't understand that normal, neither have they ever been a part of that normal, so they don't know how to integrate into that normal. So regardless of how friendly or how wonderful or how 
well well treated they might be they still have this disconnect this separation this this consideration of where do you fit in because they've just never been a part of that normal and and everything that's happening that's normal over here is just it's just normal so they don't even think about the idea that you might not have any clue as to how to integrate and they might not know how to accept new people into the integration because they they've never had to do that it's been a closed loop a, a closed system for a long time and now all of a sudden now these new people are coming in so you've got this situation where paul is saying perception is everything and and a people punished have a period of time that indeed they must go through punishment but that they must be received they must be accepted because satan is waiting satan knows he's going to drive that heart to the depths of despair he's going to pull that sorrow uh, as being separated he's going to force the play on you that's his device that's the way he works and we have to be a vigilant people about the way that old devil does business we can't be ignorant about that and the third point that we glean from today is going to be found in our fragrance so let's finish the chapter and reading down to verse number 17 from verse number 12 furthermore when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. I love this section of victory, the fragrance of Christ. I love, I love the way that it is worded there. Uh, and, and what he's referring to is the same thing as what the office of Zechariah the priest was at the time that he was told that John was going to be born. All the way back at the birth of Jesus. John's job was to burn the incense of a fragrance before the Holy of Holies unto the Lord. And what that incense or what that fragrance was that, that he was to lighten in, in the, the prayers that he was to lift up unto the Lord was, was resemblance of the, the prayers of the people of Israel. And so as the fragrance would, would waft up in front of the curtain that would be faced by the Holy of Holies, then, then it would be received of the Lord as, as tradition would teach, that it is received of the Lord as the prayers of his saints, and that it is a sweet-smelling savor in, in the nostrils of the Lord, that he would praise uh, and rejoice from his holy throne the, the prayers of his people. And of course, we know that God just truly loves the prayers of his people. It's our communication with our holy God. And so that he would tell us about being the fragrance of Christ. And this is our final point today, is the recognition that we are 
the fragrance of Christ. And so you, you look at verse number 14 to 16, and the scripture specifically says, Now thanks be to God who leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now, the fragrance of his knowledge and the diffusing. What what he's talking about, now of course, if you've ever used a diffuser when you are cooking up some tea. So if you've got some fresh leaf or or you've ever had tea that didn't come in a tea bag or you had made your own teas where you'd gathered the elements of say a dandelion tea or you gathered the elements of of different different things like mint or 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 different taste of of spices and and things that you would have growing in the garden and then you would mix them all together and you would ground them uh to to a powder and and you have this this diffuser sometimes you don't even ground them you just use the different leaves and the different petals and of the, of the flowers and things and you pick them all and you put them inside of this steel trap that's got holes all over it on both sides and with that you drop that into the the hot water and what's going to happen is is that you're not going to get any of the element of the the things that you chose to be able to make your tea because it's all trapped inside of that bulb but you're going to get all of the flavor and you're going to get all of the beneficial uh, properties of it being what's called diffused. So that water is going to, to leach the minerals and the properties of those things that you put inside of that diffuser down into the water. It's going to leach that into the water so that when you remove the diffuser, the actual physical properties of whatever you put together to be your tea still going to be trapped inside that diffuser but the benefits of that which was trapped inside the the diffuser the benefits of it is going to be in that cup to be drank and for the health and for the the joy of the soul of the tea that you just made well you are a diffuser of of the fragrance of his knowledge and so that the the beauty of the fragrance of his knowledge is is the sweet savor of the word of god that you have received into your soul and so that you study the word of god you receive the word of god the holy spirit rejoices that the fragrance of the joy of the holy spirit has filled you because of your connection with the word of god as it is this day as we studied this truth we're getting the fragrance of the knowledge of God within us and and that fragrance is supposed to be a a sweet smelling savor now to the believer it's going to be a savor of rejoicing because as as we share the word of God with one another as believers we're going to be rejoicing in the things that God has done we're going to be rejoicing in the gift of God we're going to be rejoicing in the work of God that's happening in us happening in our churches happening in the world we're going to see God in these things and there's no greater a a sweet savor a sweet smell upon our spiritual nose than the blessing of the work of God being done in the world I mean there's no greater thrill and we get that from the word of God but of course if you're not a believer in Jesus if you're not a believer in the things of God and you have no connection or affiliation with God this is going to be a sentence of death I mean you're not going to be able to escape it because the reality is still stands that being separated from God is being separated from life being separated from God 
is separated from joy, is separated from peace, is separated from love, is separated from all the fruits that are recognized in the Spirit, and the law is applied against you. There's no way to be able to hide from God. There's nowhere to go to please God. There's no exchange that can be made for the soul before God. There's only Jesus Christ being the answer for your soul and the acceptance of his death on your behalf and the necessity of of repenting of your sin and, and, and trusting in God that he may be able to deliver you from death and give you his glorious life. That's the only hope you have. And so that he says that we are Uh, in verse number 15, to God, that fragrance of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ. As, of course, being sealed by the Holy Spirit that we had talked about in chapter number 1, as being being indwelt by the, the connectional promises of God in the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit speaks expressly to us and that is regularly making utterances that we don't even understand in, in a stream of of connection between God and the Spirit within us on our behalf, making intercession for us, and that, that there is that beautiful fragrance of Christ that is among us, that are being saved and and you come into the fellowship with the brethren and there is a joy that exists there there's that fragrance of of connection and 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 that peace that passes understanding and we rejoice together we rejoice in each other but then there are those who come and they are distant and they are they're withheld and they 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 don't understand that joy they don't understand that love but it's possible because they're separated from god there's never been a place, rather an overseas or rather in the, in here in the U.S. that I have not gone, that I met with the saints, that I didn't immediately find a home, that I didn't immediately find comfort, peace, because this is the house of our God. No matter where you go in the world, you find the church, you're in the house of God, and the fellowship of the saints is always sweet. Because there is a fragrance among us in the Holy Spirit that brings us together, even when you don't even understand the languages that are being spoken, yet still there is that fragrance of Christ in us that draws us together, that sweetness. I know I've sat under many a preaching in a foreign language that I did not understand, but I worshiped in the Lord in in the midst of that preaching because I knew the word of God was open. I knew the word of God was being proclaimed, and, and I just rejoiced with my brethren who were receiving of the power of his presence in his word. And so there, there's no greater a fragrance among the believers than that be that connection of Christ and us who are being saved. But we see that uh, the perishing have a different uh, ideology, don't we? In verse number 16, it says, To the one, to those who are perishing, in verse number 15, verse number 16 says, To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death so you can understand why the world doesn't like the idea of us as believers especially when we're sharing the gospel is because until the point of repentance the only words that they could receive from us is the proclamation of their death 
We are death leading to death to them because there is no life in them. There is no connection of the Holy Spirit. And it is necessary that the law convict them for the purpose of bringing them to a knowledge of their need for Jesus. And so they're not going to receive but a message of death until they come to, the, until they come to life. And the same was true for any of us. It's not like you received the message of life that you would come to life. It was necessary to recognize that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and that all of sin had come short of the glory of God and that the wages of that sin was death. There's, there's no way to escape the reality that the gospel was death unto those that are dying so that they may be able to recognize their death and come to his marvelous life, to his light, which is the life of men. And receive no longer the sense of death be applied to them before Jesus has taken it upon himself on the cross, but that they might receive the life of Jesus uh, vibrantly coming alive in them as, as confessing their death and dying to it so that they could live. <laughs> so the, to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other we are the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Well, there's only one person I know of that's sufficient for those things is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The sufficiency of God all in all. He said, for we are not as so many are peddling the word of God. Not here to peddle the word of God. And I'm not here to... To, to pick upon your fancies. I'm not here to cause you to, to smile and, and, and flatter you with great swelling words, uh, be a, an excellent orator that can, can manipulate your emotions. I'm not here to peddle the Word of God. As Paul had said, we're not as so many. Unfortunately, that's true in our society as it was true in his society during his day, as so many peddling the Word of God. But in sincerity, as from God, we speak. You need to know the truth, because only the truth can set you free. And that is the fragrance that we are called to be, the truth of God. That's so exciting. So, to recap this, this message today, and that our first point, remember that perception is everything. That the, the way in which people perceive the things that you're saying make the difference between if they're even going to listen to you or not. Some people's perception is already tainted against the things of God. So as soon as you try to begin sharing the gospel with them, they're going to be shutting you down. They just don't want to hear it because rather they've, they've been beaten to death by a Bible thumper, so to speak, and that they, that they, they had the, the axe of God's word instead of the, the double-edged sword. And they just got bludgeoned to death, uh, and they don't want to hear it anymore. Well, perception is everything. So you have to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves in the, in, the, in the manner in which you're going to share, because perception is everything. And the second point is forgiveness. Forgiveness is principle. And that a people have already been dealt with in such an evil manner with the world, or maybe they've had to go through some correction of the church, or maybe they've had to, to deal with some, some correction of the law, what have you, regardless of what they had to go through, is to receive them in a forgiven state, as to uh, regain them to the body. The purpose behind punishment to begin with is for the, for the avenue of reconciliation, 
that a people would acknowledge the wickedness that they've done, that they would accept the, the punishment rendered, and that they could be reconciled in the body. So forgiveness, that's a principled thing. And by the way, the, the devil likes to divide through a lack of forgiveness. That's the way he works. And the third point we have uh, is that we are the fragrance of Christ. We are the fragrance of the gospel. Rather, it be a sweet-smelling savor to those who love God and love his word, or rather it be the musty, stale stench of death that would be upon the, the ears of those who are perishing. Regardless, we are the fragrance of the gospel and that it is our purpose to get out there and and, and release that fragrance into the world so that the Spirit can do His effectual work in bringing souls into the kingdom and so that we may be able as kingdom believers to be gathered together with each other in fellowship and in sweet, sweet peace together. So think on these things. Uh, these three points and study through this chapter and in connection to those points and see what you can dig out and what causes your heart to rejoice today. Father, we're grateful for everything that you've done and ask your blessing be upon us in Jesus' name as we have rejoiced and studied today. Amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I will catch you tomorrow for Wisdom Wednesday. Hallelujah. While well, we get back into Proverbs and rejoice a little bit in what he has to say there. So we'll draw some points and nuggets out of that and rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Y'all take care.